Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. This morning, I want to talk to you about the sacrifice of Jesus, his sacrifice being sufficient. We'll be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So if you want to turn there in your copy of God's word, Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you a second to get there. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you're welcome to look in the pew there in the Bible in the pew. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take it home with you. We have other copies. So uh, we only ask that you use it if you take it home, that you read it if you take it home. And so uh, that's our gift to you in that way. So this morning we look, we've been in this series called Jesus is Greater. And while this series has been kind of, uh, I, I guess, re- repetitive at times, it's important for us to hear and know what the Word of God says. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about, in chapter 10, it talks about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That His sacrifice is sufficient. It's more than enough to cover each and every sin. Amen? So it can cover all of what we've done and all of what we will do. It is sufficient to do that. So sufficient means this. It's enough to meet the needs of a situation or proposed end. Sufficient is enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. So it was enough to cover our sins. You know, I also think, you know, all the examples that Trevor gave, but I also think about growing up and getting dirty, right? If you went out and played and you got so dirty, were you able to come into the house until you got clean? No. Oftentimes, if you were one of us and you got so dirty and you were so filthy, guess what happened? At the door, you would have to leave your articles of clothing behind or you get sprayed down with a water hose. There was something you had to do because you couldn't bring the dirty into the house. You had to bring yourself clean into the house. And this is kind of where we go with this, is that all of us have sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're too dirty to get inside. But because of Jesus, he makes us clean. And the dirty we used to be, and the amount of dirtiness we got ourselves in, he makes clean. So his sacrifice is sufficient for our sin. Now, the former ways of sacrifice that the Bible lines out, it pales in comparison to what Jesus did, what came with Jesus. See, the old way was the way that they would have to sacrifice is some kind of animal sacrifice to where they would have to take the life of an animal. They'd have to go in and make special offerings that only certain people could go in, certain priests, high priests and others. It was a certain time of year that it would happen. There were all of these different requirements of what you had to do to be made clean. There were so many things that you had to do to set yourself in a right manner before God. But with Jesus, there was a distinct difference that happened because Jesus was the sacrifice that died for all of mankind and all of us who are dirty that are looking to come in can come to Him and be made clean. So there's a difference. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to some kind of religious leader. We don't have to go when we got it all together. We don't have to get our lives in order. We don't have to do all kinds of things. We just have to come as we are. And the Lord takes us as we are. And He does something significant in our lives. So let's look at the difference in this as we look at Jesus is greater. And we look at His sacrifice being sufficient this morning. 
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, since it's only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, look at that, can never, by the same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have been consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we had to, they had to offer these sacrifices every year. Every year they had to be reminded of what they had done, right? There was no permanency in this, right? There was no permanency to what they were doing because they would have to continue to offer it and offer it over and over again. And, and for many of us, we relive a lot of the bad things that we've done, don't we? But we know that Jesus came to change that, that we did not have to carry that burden year after year after time after time, that when He forgives us and sets us free, we are free indeed. That's not us anymore, right? You ever ran into somebody years after school and they say, well, man, I remember you in school. And you say, yeah, you remember me, but that's not me. I'm not him anymore. God's doing something in my life. And I want to tell you the goodness of God and how he can do greater things than that old me. He's made me new. And so there's, there's this former way that we've looked at here. But when Jesus comes in. And many of you know this, and will attest to this. When Jesus comes in, everything changes. When Jesus enters into the scene, everything changes. When Jesus enters into our lives, everything changes. And I mean everything. Every single thing. There's nothing that stays the same. Because Jesus wants us all. Because He paid it all, didn't He? He wants us all because He died for all of our sins once and for all. We don't have to continuously worry about losing our salvation. When we know Jesus, we're in His family for all time. Because of that, His sacrifice was sufficient for once and for all. So everything changed. Let's look at Hebrews 10.5. It says, Therefore, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for your sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book is written for me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for your sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So this time is different with Jesus. They don't have to come year after year. They don't have to be reminded year after year. You and I don't have to come time after time and wonder if we're saved. If we know Jesus, we are saved once and for all. That doesn't mean that we don't need to still come back and seek forgiveness for the things we've done. That doesn't mean that we don't need to come back and, and go before God and confess. That just means that our salvation is secure in Him. Our salvation is secure. So we have something called assurance. 
How many of you know what assurance is? Assurance. There's a lot of things today you can say as you talk to people. You say there's not a lot of things we can be assured of these days because there's so many ever-changing things. But I'm going to tell you one thing that's been throughout my life that I am assured of is as I became a believer in Christ, that has never changed. There's not anything in this world that's not changing. But assurance is a sense of confidence, security, certainty, especially concerning one's salvation. That's confidence, security, certainty, especially concerning one's salvation. You and I can see the myriad of things that have happened in this world that have changed. There's a lot of things that are continuously changing, especially those things we cannot control. But one of the things we can control is our assurance in Him that never, ever changes. We can count on that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've been dealt, no matter the sickness, the sorrow, the difficulty, the hardship, the the addictions that go through our lives, no matter the anxieties, the depressions, the difficulties, the sorrows, no matter what we go through, if we have a job, if we don't have a job, the assurance of Christ is not contingent on those things. The assurance of Christ is contingent on Him. So for us, we have been sanctified once and for all. That means in verse 10 of chapter 10, it says this, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Highlight that. I want you to understand that that you and I once and for all are good enough before God because of Jesus Christ and we have been forgiven. You know, one of the great times in my life that I remember, and my dad, when I was early in life, wasn't a touchy-feely, kind of wouldn't tell you what he, he meant or meant to say what he meant. So, so when he would tell me, hey, bud, I'm proud of you, that meant a whole lot. When he said, I love you, that meant a whole lot. His words to me still resonate It's words to me then, and I know how I felt, and I know what I felt, and I know where he is in my office today. You will find this globe with a pen that has no ink in it. And on the very bottom of it, it says, proud of you, daddy. Oftentimes, we look back at our life, and we think of all the things we've done and all the things we should do. And the word of God tells us that he loves us, that his offering is sufficient Once and for all. So we can go back to the word of God. We can go back to the salvation in our life. We can go back to the times he's been faithful. We can go back to look at what the heavenly father has done in our lives. And what he will continue to do. And his word is more than enough for us. So so looking at this passage. Continuing on in verse 11. It says every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time. The same sacrifices which can never Take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Y'all, he is more than sufficient for us. If he has redeemed and saved you, You and I can go back to that moment time and time again when we need to be reminded of who we are. 
You know, who I am is not a, a big old long list of the things I've done wrong. Who I am is a child of God. Who I am is what Jesus says. He loves me and forgives me on a daily basis. Who I am is, he, he said, I forgive you. I redeemed you. And so you can never lose my love for you. And so he continuously is more than I ever deserve. And so he has perfected those who he sanctified. So this is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, it says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Y'all think about that. How many of you forget things very easily? Sometimes happens that way, doesn't it? But sometimes we get those things that we've done in our life and it plays over and over in our minds, doesn't it? The things we've done wrong sometimes just play like a broken record. We can't get out of here. It just keeps going on and on and on. The Lord, when He forgives us, He forgets, right? He erases it. You know, like I'm about to tell you just how old I am. Do you remember the big erasers that were about this long? That you would, after writing on the chalkboard, you'd have to be the one that maybe went out and beat them things out? That was a big deal to go beat them things out. The chalkboard was now cleaned. Everything that was written on there, there was no getting that back, right? You couldn't go back to it. It's like a dry erase board. You couldn't go back to it after it's been erased. You couldn't go back even if you wanted to go back to it. And here's the deal. The Lord has forgiven and wiped clean your and my life. And He has taken that which was ours and paid for it once and for all. So it's no longer there anymore. And the devil's going to try to dig that up, right? The devil's going to try to put that in a different spin in our lives. And you know what you say? The Lord has redeemed me. The devil has no hold on me. And so that which was formerly there is no longer there anymore. So there's a forgiveness that's afforded for our sins and the effects of sin. The effects of sin is death. The effects of sin that you and I deserve is to be in hell. And hell for all eternity, isn't it? Because of our sin, because of the permanency of our sin, there's only one sacrifice. And that sacrifice being Jesus took care of that sin once and for all. So there is forgiveness because of Jesus alone. Not because we're good people. Not because we do good things. Not because we come to church enough. Not because we go to Sunday school enough. Not because we go on enough mission trips. Not because we do enough good things and give money to enough good things. It's only because of Jesus Christ and His grace being sufficient for our sins. It says in verse 18, it says, Now where there is forgiveness of of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated, For us, through the veil, that is his flesh. How many of you remember when Jesus died, what happened to the temple veil? What happened? It ripped, didn't it? Now, this was not a curtain that was very thin. This was not a separation. This was a giant, if you've ever seen those big strong mans that rip phone books and stuff like that, in my mind, I think that's how that thing ripped. It just ripped in such a way 
that that barrier between us and going directly to God was so irreparably broken that we can walk on in now. And we don't have to stop and we don't have to go to anybody else. We can just go directly to the Lord. We can enter it, the holy place, because of Jesus, because of what He did. And it is because of that that we can come to Him. So since Jesus has accomplished all of this and is still living and active, we're going to look forward to verse 21. It says this. It says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and where's Jesus right now? At the right hand of God. He's interceding for us still. He's saying, you see that old boy over there? You see all the things he's doing wrong? He's with me. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive him because he, he speaks from a heart of sin. Forgive him and give him that freshness that we have so eagerly promised Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. That doesn't say impartial assurance. That doesn't say meandering in with some sort of uh, mindset. That says, I have full assurance in Him and Him alone when I cannot be assured of anything this world has. In a world that ever changes, in a life that ever changes, I can't control you, you can't control me. But we can't control who we go to when times get tough. And so the assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. How many of you believe God is faithful? Amen. God is faithful even in those times when I am not. When you're not, when we're not faithful, and we don't do the things that He has lined out for us to do. He is still faithful. He is still good to us. He still takes care of us. And so we can come to Him. So it's let us hold fast to that without wavering because He's faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This tells us that we don't need to go at life alone. Amen? How many of you need those that are sitting around you right now? How many of you need those that you're in Sunday school class with? How many of you need those that you're in small group with? How many of you need those that you live life with every day? How many of you need those people? We need others around us. Now we think we don't sometimes. The devil gets in there and says, we don't need all those people. Because we're afraid that they might say something. Or they might correct us in some way. Or they might lovingly tell us how we're stepping out of line. But y'all, that's who we need. Those are the very people we need. Those are the ones that we need to hold us accountable in that way. So hold on without wavering. He's faithful. Stimulate one another to love and good good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, one of the constant conversations that I have with people is they believe, we believe that the end is coming and it's coming fast. We believe we've seen the things in the world that seemingly fulfill biblical prophecies or we see things in the world which are going such an alarming rate down the wrong way and the wrong path and everybody's accepting those things which are totally against God's word. And so we see all of those things. But it says that we need one another even though we see all those things going on. But also it reminds us to do this. That just because we are children of God doesn't mean that we get to keep sinning. And just go out into the world. Well, the Lord will forgive me. That means that we now represent 
Christ to so many in this world. We represent Him in the way we live, in the way we act, in the way we pray, in the way we go, in the way we serve, how we respond to bad news, how we respond to devastating times, how we respond to the way the world is going on. And we get so wrapped up and get so like zeroed in and focused on one thing when the Lord's trying to do so much in this world. So we cannot keep on doing the things that we did before. Verse 26, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, for no longer there remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which comes from the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. But the punishment is now more severe for those who do know Jesus. It says, verse 29, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which he has sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly because, partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. So we are called to remain steadfast with a great measure of hope. Amen. We hold the line for those in this life who have yet to come to knowledge of saving Jesus Christ and all the things that that requires. We hold the line because generation after generation, somebody's got to tell the good news. Generation after generation, somebody's got to go and proclaim the word of God. And we have to be the ones who are willing to make the sacrifices so those that come behind us might know of the faith that lives in us. You know, that's the greatest thing you can say is that I lived imperfectly for a perfect God. And he continuously made a way where there was no way. And he continuously used me in ways that I never even understood. And we can have confidence in that. There's a supportive story in Second Kings about Samaria where Elisha and his servant lived. They were unexpectedly surrounded by a great enemy. Ben-Hadad had besieged the city by night. When the servant of the prophet saw the army around the city the following morning, he exclaimed, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And then Elisha answered, Fear not. I want you to hear this. Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is the way we encounter the world. There's more with us than those who are with them. And God is greater than he is in their eyes with us. So let's look at Hebrews 10, 34. It says, for you sowed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a more lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that you, you, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are of not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering 
of the soul. So in looking at this. We've got to ask ourselves some questions. How much? How much is enough to satisfy your needs? How much is enough to satisfy your needs? And what would happen if you managed to gain everything you ever wanted, yet forfeited your soul? What would happen if you got the boat, the house, the job, the car, the kids, the things that you've always wanted, yet forfeited your soul? Mark 8, 34 says this. It tells us, he says, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my life for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into glory, uh, the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, what I want you to understand today is this. And if you've been sleeping because of the time change, I, I get it, I understand. Some of you have been nodding off there. It's okay. Some of your faces are red right now. I'm not calling names. But anyway, uh, Jesus is more than sufficient. His sacrifice is more than sufficient. It's more than enough for our sins, and it has no expiration date. I want you to understand that. It has no expiration date. Jesus saved us once and for all. Once and for all. And through Jesus alone are we forgiven and righteous. This enables us to stand before God once again. And notice I said once again because back in the garden, Adam and Eve got to walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening. They got to walk and talk with the Lord. Guess what? We could do that again. That veil has been torn. Jesus has paid that price. You and I can come directly and talk to the Lord. And you know what he does? He listens. He hears us. He answers. He gives us what we need, not necessarily what we ask for or what we want. Because sometimes you and I don't know what's best, do we? Amen? We think we do, right? We want what we want. But he knows what we need. See, when He has set us free, we are free indeed. Amen? When the Lord has dropped the chains of sin in our life and has given us freedom, we are free indeed. We don't need to still operate with the, the mindset that, of what we've done. If that's been forgiven, He's erased it from the eraser of our life. He's done beat it out and it's gone. There's no record of it. There's nothing that's there. And we were never meant to carry that after coming to Him in the cross. When He has set us free, we're free indeed. We must continue to mature in our faith, however, in our knowledge and our obedience of the, the faith that we have. I think most of us who have been in this Christian walk for a while, we want to say it like this. More of Him, less of us. Amen? I don't want to be the same person I was ten years ago. 
I don't want to be the same person I was yesterday. I don't want to be the same person when I go back to a high school reunion and say, well, you're just the same as you used to be. I want to be one who walks back in the doors and they look at me and say, God has done something in your life and I want to know him like that too. I don't want people to see me yesterday and be like, that's just the same person he was the day before. I want people to see the God and the change in me and the growth in me and that I've made more of him and less of me. So it's not about me. It's more about his kingdom and its growth. So we cannot. We cannot look at our lives and we cannot continue to sin and look at the fact that we're once saved, always saved and keep doing the things we've done. Y'all, we've got to make decisions. Either we're going to live for Christ and be bold in this world and make sure everybody knows about Jesus Christ and the life change he's brought to me. And that means that we can't be just like everybody else in this world. And we can't do the same things everybody else did in this world. And we can't live the same way everybody else lives in this world. And that requires sacrifice and it's going to cause ridicule and we're going to stand out and we're going to look differently. But if we do all those things for the name of Jesus Christ, His name is glorified, maybe there's someone that's out there watching us, not conforming, and they're going to say, yes, I want Jesus too. And to me, that is the greatest thing that you and I can do. is to know that when we are through here on earth, that more people are going with us than came with us. Amen? Some of y'all think about that. There's more going with us because more of our brothers and sisters will know Jesus Christ when we leave than they knew at the very beginning walk of our life. But we can't live this dangerous life that we did before Jesus how much is enough to satisfy your need? And what would happen if you managed to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? He's more than sufficient. Let's pray, y'all. Father God, I come to you at such a time as this. Father God, I just, I proclaim that I am not always what I need to be. Father God, I sin and I fall short of your mark for my life. But Father God, there's never been a day since I was 11 years old, where I did not have you. And Father, you have forgiven me for more than I deserve to be forgiven for. But it's because you love me, because you died for me and gave yourself up in my place as a permanent sacrifice once and for all. So Father God, I don't need to go back to the old sin. I don't need to get myself right. I can just come to you. So, Father, I pray today that if we're holding on to sins we should have let go of already, Father, we bring that burden to the very person who can do anything about it and know that you will take our burden. You will lighten our load. Father God, it just means that we've got to come to you and be honest before you. So, Father God, maybe we're carrying around a load that we weren't meant to carry as believers. Maybe we're here today and we are not living the life we ought to live as believers. Maybe we're still doing everything we always did instead of living differently in a world that is so much away from your word and so far away from who you want us to be. But God, you've given us the means to come back. You've given us prodigals a way to come back home. You've given us a measure to say, this isn't how it needs to be, and I can come back to my father's house. So maybe we're not the people we should be, but there's never a better time to come home than today.
Father God, there's so many of us that absolutely don't know you as Lord and Savior. That we think all these things we've got to get in line before we come to you. But Father God, as I shared this morning, it's not about what we do. It's about who you are. Jesus, you paid a price because you loved us once and for all for our sin that we could come directly to you. The veil is torn. There is no one else but you. And you and you alone can forgive us from our sin. So why don't we come? Why don't we do that today? God, you stand there with your arms open wide reminding us how much you love us, how much you're there for us, what you gave for us that we might be made free if we only come. Father God, I pray today, as you've been stirring in our hearts, as you've been moving and shaking us in this moment, God, that we are obedient to come in whatever way you've called us to come. Father God, I ask these things in your mighty name. What a great evening, what a great opportunity we have today as we celebrate the commissioning of this group for the South African nation. I don't know which one should be more afraid. If they should be more afraid, we're seeing such a group as this, eclectic, but each one of them has a wonderful gift to give and has a plan for the, for the time and year that they are there that is unbelievable. This evening, uh, I want to talk to you about several things, but part of this is we want to have a time at the ending where we have the entire crew that's going tomorrow, and that we're able to pray over them as they go. And that's, that's a vital thing, because whenever something big, whenever something large, whenever something huge, whenever something was small or anything else, nothing was too insignificant to pray for and Jesus demonstrated that over and over and over again, that he wanted to be in the will of the Lord. And so this evening, this is what we want to do. We want to be in the will of the Lord. There was a, there was a point that goes like this. It's called What It Takes. A missionary needs the wisdom of an owl, the tenacity of a bulldog, the daring of a lion, the patience of a donkey, the versatility of a pavilion, the vision of an eagle, the melody of the nightingale, the meekness of the lamb, the tackle of a politician, the high of a rhinoceros, the disposition of an angel, the resignation of the incurable, the faithfulness of a prophet, the tenderness of a shepherd, the fervency of an evangelist, the devotion of a mother, the sacrifice of a martyr, and the loyalty of an apostle. But missionaries are not born, they are made. They are made out of the ordinary run of the individuals. The basic qualification is not intellectualism, but a yielded spirit, a devotion to the will of God, and a deep sense of call. And so, there's a lot of things that goes into this group. There's a lot of things that goes into a missions area, and we can be as prepared as we want to be, and we can, we can have an idea of what we're going to see when we get on the ground. Um, but there's, there's really no way to know what everybody's going to bring and what everybody's coming with. But Mission team, you already answered the first call. The first call was to get up and go. We'll be in Acts chapter 8. As we look at, at Philip and we look at his response 
We have Philip and the Ethiopian there encountered. But we know about Philip. Philip was one of the ones that was still remaining in the area as everybody else had been sent out. So Philip had a purpose and a goal that, that was unrealized yet. He was just waiting on the Lord. He had, a, he had a plan set before him. And it was at this time he was called to get up and go. And this is what our mission team is doing. They were, months ago, we had Coos and, and Jenny with us, and, and they shared their love for the people and the years that they served. They stood on the very stage that I'm on. They shared in the heart of what, what, is, what it was about and what the people were about. And then months later, tribe and team decided they would go. They would go and serve. And, and part of that is, is this. It looks a lot like this. Let's look at verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. It says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this was a very important person that they were put in contact with, that the Lord said to Philip to go to. This was somebody who was in prominence in the, the palace, in the, in, in the queen's service, and so he would be one that would be able to influence other people. Sometimes we think we don't make a big deal about how when we reach out to somebody, but God knows and puts people on our path. And so this was one of those people that just so happened to have come to worship, but was heading back home. And I believe that when you all get on the ground there, you might not find what you expected. And, it, and the only plans that I've seen, I, I think I've seen Trevor and Jeremy and others, they shared the plans and the things that they're going to do. They've met, they planned, they planned, they met, and they've got everything ready for the supply lists and, and spices and the things that they're carrying with them. There's so many other things that are on the list that are going over with them. But one of the things, as we don't know what to expect, is that my hope is that you're flexible and reliant on the Holy Spirit leading. Because you might get there and your job might be to do one thing, but the Lord says there's a need right here that I've placed you uniquely in the space that you're in and qualified you and equipped you to speak to that very need. So you're here for this. And you're like, no, Lord, I spent all this time preparing. I've got all this literature together. We're going to teach this, and we're going to teach that, and we're supposed to go over there. But, Lord, I prepared in all of this way, and I think it's one of those times where you have to say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. Lord, wherever you want me to do, I'm going to stop and do it. Lord, I know that you've made this part of your plan. So we've got to be flexible when we're on that field. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. It says, And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join his chariot. Now, this was a high official. This was someone that was of prominence. And you didn't just run up to them, but when the Lord says go, he knew he had to go. When the Lord says go talk to them, he had to go and talk to them. And so, Less than New Begin said this in the finality of Christ. He said the universality of Christ's lordship over all nations 
and over creation is not in the New Testament a ground for leaving the nations as they are. It is on the other hand exactly the ground for the church's mission to preach repentance to every man and to all nations. To every man and to all nations. To me that sounds very much like the commission of the Great Commission to go therefore and tell all the nations to spread the gospel, to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. So when we go, as we are flexible, as we are ones who are having to, to, to sort of listen to what's happening on the fly, we have to be reliant on the Holy Spirit's leading. The other thing I wanted to share with you this evening, and this is again for the mission team, is don't assume that people know. How many of us come into every situation, especially when you're prepared to go, and you've got a lot of presuppositions? There's a lot of things. You grew up in the Bible Belt. You grew up in the South. There are things that you know. There are things that you've heard. There are things that you've read. There's things that you've experienced. There's things that you've been through that these people will not be able to resonate with. And what you have to do, as you go to GTR, as you get on the plane that leaves there, you have to leave the presuppositions on the tarmac. And you have to say, God, I want you to make a way where there is no way. I want you to break down any barrier, anything that I might say or do that gets in the way of them reaching through me and you reaching through me so that they might know who you are. I want everything to be clear, concise, that it might reach their very heart. Philip said this. Philip read up in verse 30 and heard them reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. You might encounter someone on this trip that might be reading the Word of God or hearing the Word of God or seeing you explain what it is for the very first time. It might be something to which they might have even had a Bible given to them or they might have read something somewhere but don't fully understand it. You've got to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. You've been prepared. You're being commissioned. You're going to go. And wherever you're led by the Spirit, God's going to intervene. But He's also going to give you what you need when you need it the most so that you're able to speak the words He's led you to that place to do and to speak. And so He explains them to come up and sit. We've got to be ready to go. We've got to be ready to look for God-sized moments. These are moments that are unexpected that require us to fully rely on the Word of God and God Himself to put the words in your mouth. That if you're willing, He is more than able. Here's the scripture that He was reading. Verse 32, it says, Now the passage of scripture which, was, which He was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so He does not open His mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Who are the scriptures speaking of? Who is Isaiah speaking of? Who is Isaiah talking about? These are the questions that this eunuch has that are genuine. He's reading something he doesn't understand. He's reading something he's trying to make sense of. The, the Word of God that he's reading and the Lord himself is working on his heart. 
Have you ever had the Lord work on you? But maybe you needed somebody else to come alongside of you and kind of just help you understand. You know, maybe you've just walked through a scripture and you said, this scripture is kind of hitting me, but I don't know what's, what it's trying to say, what it's trying to speak to me about. What is it really saying here? And it's verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say? Is this of himself or someone else? So Philip, from there, shared the gospel. Now, if you've been through a number of my sermons, you know that I like the Roman road. I like the Roman road because it really breaks it down for us. All of sin is also of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And, and you have to have that in your heart set aside so that when you are asked how they might believe, how they might confess, how they might know Jesus, you're willing and ready to tell them. As you go, this is the gospel that Jesus died for us. That we might be free from sin. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That God loved us too much to leave us just like we are. God loved us too much to leave us just like we are. So God sent a team from Sturgis, Mississippi across the world to share the gospel so that if one might know the name of Jesus Christ, it's well worth it. So be ready. Be willing to tell the good news, to share the story of Christ in your life, to speak to the very need of the person that's there. And one of the most effective ways I've found to speak to the need is to listen first. You know, you get to know some people more by listening to what they're saying. And I'm not saying listen to calculate what you might say next. But listening to a person means that you hear what they're bringing to the table. You hear their story. You hear what has led them to this point in their life. You hear the questions that are there. Philip heard what the Ethiopian was saying. He heard all of that and gave a response afterwards. He gave a response. And he shared the gospel. It says in verse 35, it says that Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So he began to tell him of the Father's love for him. He began to tell him of Jesus' death on the cross. He began to tell them, uh, tell him of Jesus' resurrection. He began to tell him of what that meant for our sin once and for all. He began to tell them of Jesus being the only way. He began to tell him that, that all of these things. And so what this Ethiopian man had been reading... Came, became more than just something on a page. It became a reality for him. As Jesus became his Lord and Savior in that moment, there will be people on this mission trip, there will be people that you encounter not only in South Africa, but there will be people at the airport along the way, there will be stewardesses, flight attendants, there will be people that are checking you out at the store because you forgot something for the mission trip, you have to stuff in the back. There will be people along the way that will be asking you, what do you need these things for? And you have an opportunity to turn it around to the gospel. And so, Mission team, we have to be willing. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. As they went along the road, there in verse 36 it says, As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said this, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? 
You know what? There's a lot of times we think about this. What it would almost be for me, it would be like us traveling down the road and we see a pond and we say, why can't we stop it there? And why can't we be baptized? Why can't we stop over here and be baptized? In other words, you say, I don't want anything to get in the way of me knowing Jesus Christ and living for Jesus Christ. I want to get everything I can get from this guy named Philip before he goes away from the place that he just came from. Because they're on the desert road, and then Philip comes out of nowhere. We know God sent him, but comes out of nowhere, and that man becomes a Christian believer today on that day. So it says this, Philip says, if you believe with your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Then what, what did Philip do? Did he stay there and stop and build a church? He, he went on, right? He realized that, yes, that man right there needed him and needed Jesus, needed to know Christ, and so he shared that with him. They were baptized, and then he went to the next spot. He went to the next one. He continued sharing on to the next need. It says this in verse 39 about that. It says, When they came about the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in the Zotus, and he passed through. He kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. He continued. Whenever you encounter somebody, that may or may not accept the calling of Christ in their life. You've got to continue. Because there are a lot of setbacks. There's a lot of things that people are going to hear and have heard that this mission team this week is going to come to that they just have to be obedient to tell the truth and love. And God does the same. God opens the hearts. He knocks down the barriers. He takes the doors that are closed and kicks them wide open. Because our Lord can do that. The things that we cannot. The things that are lost in translation sometimes that we try to bring. He can make it straight. So as a church, we can start now by praying for the people group that they will be ministering to in so many different ways. Our team has so many different goals this week. They have so many things they're teaching from. From drug education to just sharing the gospel through sports and activities, through so many different medical aspects of this trip. There's so many different things that they're going to equip these people with while they are there. And as a church, we can start praying for the people group that they'll be ministering to, that they'll have open hearts, open minds to what this team is going to be bringing them. Because each and every time, I know they're going to be teaching so many different things, but it's going to be interlaced with the gospel. Because the greatest goal, I believe, not only could we equip them in these ways that are real, but also we can equip them by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the heart, by the kindness, by the love, by the mercy, by the grace, by the forgiveness. All of those attributes which are part of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be in Christ there. So as a church, we can pray for this people group. Also, as a church, we can pray for each of those that are on this mission trip. 
Now there will be a, a piece of paper with a prayer, God, that you can pray for this group every day while they're gone. You can pray for each one of them. You can pray a specific verse. But whatever you do, pray that God moves in their lives and moves in their activity that they're doing, keeps them safe, and keeps them as they go to not get tired and grow weary. Because they're going to be going, and they're going to be flying for a long period of time. Then they're going to be in a car for a while, or whatever vehicle is used. And then they're going to be on the ground and doing so many different things in so many different ways. And they're going to get tired. And they're going to get on each other's nerves. But there's going to be reasons that they're there, which is glorify Christ in all that they do. That's going to give them the ability to continue and to move on with that. We can also pray for them, for their willingness to share, for their health and safety throughout the mission trips. So we can pray for them as they go in that way. Also as a missions team, this is for the missions team. I pray that you take the challenge seriously as you go. I believe if you take this seriously, like Philip, the Lord will multiply your efforts and equip you. In addition, I believe this is what happens to those who have answered the call to go. Their lives will forever change too. If you've ever served on missions, yes, you're there for a particular purpose and a reason that God has called you there, but as you are being obedient, God is growing you too. There's things that God does in your life as you're willing to go out, as you're willing to serve the least of these, as you're willing to do the things that maybe you've never done before in the way that you've done them before, but you're doing it for the right reasons, for the glory of God, that God grows you in your faith walk and makes your faith walk deeper than it ever has been before. It's my hope that, that the mission team this week comes back home so radically different than what, the way they went. Because God showed up and God did a mighty work. Also, as a missions team, I want us to remember that the devil does not take vacations. And if there are matters that we need to get right with God before leaving, I pray that you get right with that tonight. Because you don't want anything in the way of you bringing the gospel to that person, those people groups that you have been sent commissioned to go, challenged. And some of you have said, I'm not good at doing these things, but I'm telling you what, God has given you a gift and ability, and He has given you a place to go, and He has given you a people to serve, and He has called you to the side of that chariot, going down to that road that leads to Africa. And you have answered the call. And there are going to be people they want to know why you are there and what you're doing here. And sure, you're going to have different roles and things that they require you to do. But you're there because Jesus sent you. You're there because we're all called. And you're there because God has a plan to get unfinished in their lives. And so it's my prayer this day. It's my prayer at this time that you might lay aside everything every encumbrance, everything that might be holding you down, that the gospel might have the totality of your heart, and this might be the only thing that you care about that week. So you might need to lay aside some things as you go on this mission trip. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to pray over us. I want us to pray at this time. I want us to pray for our missions team. I want us to pray for the people group that we're going to encounter, that they're going to encounter as they go, as they serve, as they show up, as they day after day continue to persevere through adverse situations. And then I'm going to invite our friends that are going on the trip to come up. And what I'm going to ask is that we pray over them. And then after the lesson, like I said before, we'll have a brief meeting here. So let's pray, y'all. Father God, I just come at such a time as this, God, and I thank you that you give us time and again ways that we can serve you. Father God, these men and women have decided to follow you whatever the cost is. God, to follow you wherever you might lead them to go. To take the initiative to answer as you said, Lord, Lord, send me. God, I pray that you fill them and equip them with your mighty spirit. That no matter what setbacks, no matter what might happen, they're reminded that they have a purpose and a goal. And that's to glorify your name. Father God, I pray for the missions team as they go. That if there's anything that might hinder them from serving you as they ought to. Father God, I pray this evening they might bring this to the altar and leave it with you. Heavenly Father God, also I pray as we are a church that is sending those out, that we are praying for the team each and every day, that we're praying for the people group each and every day. But Father, we're praying for your will to be done above all things. Father God, we pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. <coughs> Call. God, it is not lost in us that we've been 
to you get the call. Whether that call is to pray, to pray hard for these people, but also to pray for those hearts for the men and women that have encountered. Father God, we know what you said before us. The great task, the great stealing. So God, we just pray that you get glory, you get honor forever and ever. And God said that if you give people that will call my name, I will save you. So God, I pray that this message goes out from this place. That's the message of all. And God, I pray that this message is heard throughout the world. Lord God, I just thank you for these men and women, these families, the ones who said yes, we will go. Lord God, I pray that you give them strength. And I pray that you give them the energy to go through all these things to hear them say. Father, we commission them to go. God, we just ask that you do a mighty work in their lives. Grow them beyond all that they expect. And do what we can. It's in your great mighty name that we pray. listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. You can help this podcast by subscribing and rating with those stars on the page and or leaving a comment. Also, you can help us by sharing this with your friends.